Donald Trump makes an epic announcement. Mr. Reagan. This is a huge announcement, and I haven't seen it trending really either on Twitter or in the mainstream news media, and I'm not exactly sure why, because this is a profound change in American policy if Trump is able to implement this. Trump has just posted a video on YouTube indicating that when he is finally reelected, he will sign an executive order ending birthright citizenship. That is, if you're an illegal immigrant who gives birth to a child on American soil, that child does not get American citizenship. Now, I don't know if Trump has indicated that he would do this before, or I I don't know why this is not a bigger story, but I want to talk about it because I love this. (laughs) All right, let's watch Trump's epic announcement in one moment. First, of course, I have to sell you something. There's no denying it. Gold is hot right now. Prices are soaring and experts are predicting even more to come. Not so long ago, gold reached its all-time high of $2,069 per ounce. And now it's inching ever closer to that number once again. Bank of America, one of the largest banks in the world, is saying that gold will rise further still to over $2,200 an ounce later this year. So what? Well, gold is already a safety net for your hard-earned money. And now when the stock market is all over the place and the value of the dollar is uncertain, being safe really counts like never before. Right now, Noble Gold is offering a five-ounce America the Beautiful coin for any qualified IRA or 401k rollover. Terms apply. A solid silver U.S. Mint issued coin celebrating our national parks free with every qualifying precious metals IRA or 401k rollover. You can't go wrong with Noble Gold Investments. Call 877-646-5347 or go to noblegoldinvestments.com. That's noblegoldinvestments.com. Joe Biden has launched an illegal foreign invasion of our country, allowing a record number of illegal aliens to storm across our borders. From all over the world, they came. Under Biden's current policies, even though these millions of illegal border crossers have entered the country unlawfully, all of their future children will become automatic U.S. citizens. Can you imagine? They'll be eligible for welfare, taxpayer-funded health care, the right to vote, chain migration, and countless other government benefits, many of which will also profit the illegal alien parents. This policy is a reward for breaking the laws of the United States and is obviously a magnet helping draw the flood of illegals across our borders. They come by the millions and millions and millions. They come from mental institutions. They come from jails, prisoners, some of the toughest, meanest people you'll ever see. The United States is among the only countries in the world that says that even if neither parent is a citizen nor even lawfully in the country, Their future children are automatic citizens the moment the parents trespass onto our soil. As part of my plan to secure the border on day one of my new term in office, I will sign an executive order making clear to federal agencies that under the correct interpretation of the law, going forward, the future children of illegal aliens will not receive automatic U.S. citizenship. My policy will choke off a major incentive for continued illegal immigration deter more migrants from coming, and encourage many of the aliens Joe Biden has unlawfully let into our country to go back to their home countries. They must go back. Hundreds of thousands of people from all over the planet squat in hotels for their last few weeks of pregnancy to 
illegitimately and illegally obtain U.S. citizenship for the child, often to later exploit chain migration to jump the line and get green cards for themselves and their family members. It's a practice that's so horrible and so egregious, but we let it go forward. At least one parent will have to be a citizen or a legal resident in order to qualify. We will secure our borders and we will restore our sovereignty starting on day one. Our country will be great again. Our country will be a country again. We'll have borders. We'll have proper education. And we'll put America first. Thank you. This is why Trump is a legend. Trump makes these bold moves that everybody else is afraid to make. Now, I have suggested ending birthright citizenship many times, as have many other conservatives. So to hear a viable candidate for president say this, well, it is thrilling. It's thrilling. And of course, it's Donald Trump. Of course it is. Who else? Who else would do something this awesome? Naturally, Trump's enemies will call this racist. The mainstream media will call this racist. But it's not racist. It's not racist at all. This is about incentives. Leftists never seem to understand incentives really with anything. (laughs) Honestly, I think leftists are born with a part of their brains missing sometimes. Okay, okay. The truth is that we all know why Democrat politicians don't talk about incentives. They understand incentives. They just want floods of illegal immigrants from Latin America. They want anchor babies. They want as many immigrants as they can who they expect to exploit welfare benefits for generations because Democrats know that Hispanics tend to vote Democrat. Immigrants tend to vote Democrat. And welfare recipients tend to vote Democrat. This is all a ploy to get more Democrat votes. It's not about race. It's about votes. And does bringing in illegal immigrants who exploit the welfare system, many of whom are criminals, does this improve the quality of life of American citizens? Of course not. Of course, it reduces our quality of life. We pay more in taxes to support those who exploit government services and who contribute nothing but just siphon off the resources that the rest of us contribute It also increases the rate of crime in America. It also increases homelessness. And leftists always cite these studies that show that illegal immigrants contribute far more than they take out of the system. Yeah, right. Look, I have met a lot of immigrants in my life. Los Angeles is chock full of them. And let me tell you, the majority of immigrants that I have met are in some way or another conning the system. They don't pay taxes, they file for any kind of welfare that they they can get their hands on, and they commit all kinds of fraud. And I'm not just talking about illegal immigrants, I'm talking about legal immigrants in many cases. Are there some good immigrants that do contribute? Yeah, sure, of course. But this is a, actually a small minority. You know, in some ways, I feel like the problem has already gotten too big. And at the core of this problem is the perspective of white Democrat voters. These folks have been brainwashed into thinking that white people are evil and that we deserve to be eradicated. Good, great! What have we done good with the majority? Not, not much! You know what's happening. (laughs) Did I mention it might be sooner than that? You say that like it's a bad thing. And, you know, every other ethnicity is just a beautiful victim that deserves to inherit everything that Christian Europe developed over the past 2,000 years. These voters have given America away. 
and now I barely recognize it. I was actually speaking to a girl about this yesterday who is, coincidentally, an immigrant. But she's white. She's a white immigrant. She's from Eastern Europe, naturally. She's one of these white European girls who is enamored by exotic cultures. And let me say that to some degree, I'm kind of like that myself. I find exotic cultures fascinating. I, I wouldn't say that I'm enamored by them, but I do find other cultures fascinating. But I also acknowledge that these other cultures are not perfect and often have very serious problems. And I also recognize the historical value of white Christian Europeans and their descendants, a group of which I myself am a part And Democrat voters seem to all neglect that non-white cultures can be underdeveloped. They can be very primitive. They can be incompetent or corrupt or just plain evil, which is certainly true sometimes. For instance, in the cases of cultures diseased by the cancer of Marxism. And so white Democrat voters have this idiotic mindset of punishing the white race, the culture of whom they also condemn. And of course, they elevate every other race, the cultures of whom they also elevate. And so legal and illegal immigration, specifically from non-white regions of the world, is more than tolerated by leftists. It is encouraged. And this has basically destroyed American culture from how I experienced it as a boy. So anyway, I was speaking with this girl uh, yesterday about how things are different from when I was a kid growing up in Oregon. And uh, she had flipped on this travel show about Oregon, for my benefit actually, and uh, the show featured Multnomah Falls. And this is a landmark in Oregon that I had visited several times when I was a kid. And I noted that it was a lot better when I was a kid in the 80s. You would visit and maybe see two or three people that hiked up toward the falls. And now, because of Instagram, the place is absolutely packed. Everybody wants a photo because they saw somebody else with a cool photo on Instagram. And she made the joke that, oh, yeah, I just liked it because there were only white people there in the 80s. That is not what I was saying, but it did make me think. And in a way, she's kind of right. But it's not because the place has been invaded by people of various races, but rather it's been invaded by people of varying cultures. Let me just say this. If I were to cross paths with anyone, anywhere, who smiles, who's kind, who's intelligent, who's well-dressed, etc. Respectful, that's really the key. Anybody, anywhere who's respectful. I am very happy to meet that person, whatever their race. I don't care about that. But that's just not the case. And there are clear patterns here, and it comes down to culture. Leftists intentionally conflate race and culture. If you criticize a culture, according to leftists, you are criticizing the race developed by that culture. But this is, of course, absurd. Race is an immutable characteristic. Nobody can change their race, no matter what trans activists might tell you. But people can change their culture, or they can reject a particular aspect of culture. And look, some cultures are just crap. When I was a kid, if somebody would buy McDonald's and eat it in their car, they would clean up everything very neatly. They would find a trash bin somewhere and they would dispose of it in a clean and respectful way. This is the way that white people in Oregon would act in the 1980s. Now, before I left Oregon for California the second time, this was in 2010, I would have been about 30, I guess. I would commonly see people in Portland, Oregon, throwing fast food out of the windows of their cars as they were speeding down the road. And every single time I saw this, it was always a black person, always. Now, does that indicate that black people are awful? Of course not. Of course not. I don't like my black friends any less because that black guy, you know, was littering. 
obviously. But it does indicate a cultural difference that is incompatible. If you have a very clean culture like Switzerland, you don't want a bunch of people from a culture that tolerates littering immigrating into that country. And yes, there are countries, believe it or not, that are far less clean than people in Switzerland. This is footage from the Roma Gypsy region of Sofia, Bulgaria. And to give you a little bit of contrast here, this is one of the regions inhabited by the native Bulgarians. Again, here is the Gypsy region. So the apartments in this region of Sofia were given to the Gypsies by the government. Incidentally, this is the same plan that Democrats always propose in cities with major homeless problems here in America. But the Gypsies in Sofia, they then burned their apartments... They sold the elevators for scrap metal, and they persistently threw their trash out the window. <laughs> that's, that's real. That's what happened. Look, the, the Roma gypsies, they don't mind that aesthetic, the disheveled, unkempt look. That's part of their lifestyle. That's part of their culture. Personally, I find it revolting. But some of you might think, well, that's fine. They should, they should be able to live as they like. And okay. I get that libertarian live-and-let-live philosophy, I understand, except when such people impose their lifestyle on me. It takes work to develop a clean, beautiful aesthetic, to develop a clean, beautiful community, neighborhood. That takes work. It takes no work, no work at all, to create an aesthetic of filth. And again, that's not about race. That is about culture, and that's just about personal responsibility, really. But another thing that this girl said that annoyed me uh, was she said that uh, she has this Colombian friend and uh, this guy was criticizing Americans by saying that Americans live to work, but Colombians work to live. Now, I have heard this many, many times and it always annoys the crap out of me. The idea is that uh, Americans are just like, you know, so focused on work that they forget to enjoy life. And other cultures, oh, we enjoy life, and work is just something we do to pay for our enjoyable lifestyles. Yes, there are some people who are workaholics, and workaholics exist in every culture. These are people typically who love their jobs. To them, their profession becomes an obsession, and that's great for them. I have no lack of respect for this, but the reality is that most hardworking Americans do not live to work. That is absurd. My ancestors were mostly from Germany. Germany, Scotland, and Scandinavia. That's basically the entirety of my ancestry. But mostly, I'm genetically German. Now, Germans have a rich cultural history. I mean, you've got Beethoven and Wagner and Semper and Holbein and Albrecht Dürer creating masterpieces on the one hand. And then you've got Lederhosen and Oompa music and the Bierstein or the Moss, as they call it in Germany. And so you've got the culture that developed from the aristocratic class, and you've got the culture that developed from the peasant class. Some cultures, though, they don't really have an aristocratic class, or it's so small that it doesn't develop into a popular culture of its own. And so when you think of the culture of many countries, it's just the loud, lower-class culture that you might be thinking of. And that loud party atmosphere is not considered fun by many descendants of Christian Europeans who are maybe less extroverted. Some people like to, in their leisure time, Go to a party where the music is at a low volume. People are dressed well and respectful conversations are engaged in. Maybe it's a conversation about art history or philosophy or politics. Maybe it's a conversation about trucks and hunting. Or maybe it's a conversation about popular culture or reminiscing about our childhood. These kinds of less raucous social environments are actually preferred 
in many cultures most of the time. And some people, they don't even like that level of social engagement, and they prefer to build model train sets or read a book quietly in their free time. And so the idea that white people live to work just because we're not getting drunk and dancing to primitive music every chance we get, I have always found that accusation extremely annoying. It's kind of like the accusation that uh, white people don't know how to spice foods. Where the heck did that one come from? That's such a weird (laughs) stereotype. And look, we have dance clubs. We have bars. We can do that stuff if we want. And I am a very extroverted person, naturally. But I hate dance clubs and I hate bars. I would much rather be out in the woods or on a mountain or swimming in the ocean or hanging out back home with a family or at a quiet party with charming, interesting people. But here's the point of this little divergence. Some cultures are obnoxiously loud. And this makes them incompatible with quieter, more sophisticated cultures. And as I said, it takes a lot of work to maintain a beautiful environment. It takes no work to maintain a filthy one. The same goes for other aspects of more sophisticated cultures. If you've got a nice, quiet neighborhood, like the kind you'd see in the 1950s maintained by, yes, white Americans, gasp, it doesn't take too much to destroy the peace and tranquility of that environment. Just a few hooligans with a spray can or an annoyingly modified car with massive speakers. And if you have a critical mass of people from a loud culture invade the neighborhood inhabited by those who enjoy a much quieter, more sophisticated culture, the quieter culture will be destroyed. And this is all, of course, building to the ultimate destruction of our culture, crime. A culture that is peaceful, generous, and lawful is an easy target for anyone from a culture that is violent, selfish, and criminal. And that is where we are now in America. Democrat politicians and wealthy, elitist Democrat voters have sacrificed the neighborhoods of peaceful, generous, and lawful citizens to violent, selfish, and criminal immigrants, and perhaps even more often, American-born criminals, who they are now just letting out of prison for some reason. They have sacrificed these neighborhoods in the name of wokeness. And a lot of times, these nice, peaceful, generous, lawful neighborhoods are black neighborhoods or Latino neighborhoods, primarily black people, primarily Latinos, primarily Asians, uh, Chinese people, Koreans, Japanese, whatever. They're not always just white neighborhoods, but leftist policies flood these neighborhoods with immigrants with another culture or criminals that they're letting out of prison or criminal immigrants. And these Democrats, they're willing to do this because up until now, it hasn't affected them. But these Democrats don't understand that this degeneration of America, at the rate we're going, It will eventually catch up to them. Their own neighborhoods will soon be affected. And only then will they realize their mistake. Multiculturalism, diversity, it's not always the utopia that leftists pretend that it is. It can be slow immigration. If somebody comes over here, just one family, into a neighborhood that is culturally homogenous, culturally American, and they integrate into that culture, that's fine. That works beautifully. Okay, But when you have a flood of immigrants, they bring their own culture. They don't have time to recognize that American culture is actually better for them. Obeying the law is better. Being quiet and respectful is better. Creating a beautiful aesthetic environment is better. The traditional American lifestyle with American values, it's a better culture than other cultures around the world. What Trump announced here may seem extreme to some people, but these measures are necessary if we want to save America. And many of you watching this are probably thinking, wow, this guy is a total racist. He's saying that all of these non-white races are dirty and loud and violent. Well, again, I will reiterate, 
This is not about race. This is about culture. And of course, there are fantastic, well-dressed, sophisticated people in every race. But Democrat racism against white people in America is going to destroy this country if we do not end it. And also, let me just say this. Perhaps it is not the most violent or the most criminal, but perhaps the dirtiest, ugliest, loudest culture of all is Antifa. And that comes strictly from white culture. Well, that's it for me. Let me know what you guys think in the comments section below. And remember, it's not that our liberal friends are ignorant. It's just they know so much. No, you know what? It's that they're trying to destroy America. Good night. You know, someone very profoundly once said many years ago that if fascism ever comes to America, it'll come in the name of liberalism. Fascism is private ownership, but total government control and regulation. Well, isn't this the liberal philosophy? The conservative, so-called, is the one that says less government. Get off my back. Get out of my pocket. Let me have more control of my own destiny. All right, we are back with G. Edward Griffin, the author of The Creature from Jekyll Island, the book that inspired millions uh, worldwide. Always uh, a pleasure having him on. Uh, thank you for, for being back for part two. Well, I think it's pretty clear that we're living in a period right now of great inflation. I'm going to guess it's, it's greater inflation than we have ever experienced even in times of war, because the amount of money that's coming into existence daily now is just, it's just unbelievable. We, the quantities that uh, it was being brought in like five years ago into, into being five or 10 years ago was in my view, just unbelievable. And today now it's 20 times or 50 times more than that. There's no, there's no doubt in anybody's mind that I've talked to that this, this can never be repaid back. This is a, this is a, a game. The idea that they're creating money and debt that's going to be paid back is uh, just for show, because there's no there's no physical way for that to happen. So that everybody knows everybody knows in the business that at the end of this game, the money system collapses or has to be replaced by something else. So that's what we're seeing. We're seeing the realization of that knowledge that this system that we have allowed to be gradually built up around us, now has to be eliminated because you can't continue it anymore. It's just, it's through, it's kaput. The $32 trillion in debt, $32 trillion. And when you speak of a new system, you're speaking of the Great Reset, correct? Yes, that's, uh, yeah, the Great Reset is more than just banking and more than just money. Has to do with personal privacy and, poly- and property and all the rest. But yeah, the Great Reset includes that. So I guess, you know, mm-hmm. as we're wrapping this interview, um, I know that you're a big proponent of holding gold and silver um, as part of your, or should I say, protection um, in, given this landscape. If you could just talk to us a little bit about what you're doing uh, financially uh, to prepare. Well, that's a, another good question. Uh, yes, I, I'm an advocate of gold and silver as a uh, in, inflation hedge and uh, as a means of maintaining some some currency that's in private use. It might even be black market use because I think the people who are working toward this uh, cashless society probably don't want 
people like me or you to have gold or, or silver coins. So they'll probably pass a law making it illegal because they'll say these nasty people are going to upset a beautiful, wonderful system, the Great Reset. They're going to, we're dealing with in the black market and people are, are buying drugs with gold so and silver coins. they'll confiscate it? Confis they'll confiscation? Confiscate. Yeah, or they'll punish you for having it and, or trying to use it. They'll do what they can to prevent you from using it. But nevertheless, the black market will exist. It always does. I, I was talking to a fellow here just yesterday that was raised in the Soviet Union. And um, they, you know, they didn't allow uh, the black market on the surface. You were punished if you were using the black market and not using the Russian ruble and buying stuff in the company store. But, never, but everybody did it. That's the point. And only those who were in... in Misfavor with the government were the ones who were uh, published, but all the commissars and all the communist officials were in the black market too. So it was one of those things. We're probably evolving into that kind of a situation for a while, I would imagine. So is crypto a better answer then? Crypto? Well, Bitcoin. No, because they'll have complete control over the crypto. And if you want to use it for anything except buying lettuce or tomatoes from your neighbor uh, or Eggs, you know, you, uh, cryptos can be decentralized on a local level, and you could have some privacy, and I think it would probably work at a local level. But for going to the store and or buying gasoline or traveling or paying the rent and stuff like that, I'm afraid it, it's not going to work. Do you, um, I mean, you know, just getting in the, back in the future, that the, these people that are putting this plan together do not want independent private. Crypto, crypto to work, and they're going to see that it doesn't work if they can. I mean, you're obviously still part of the banking system. Uh, you know, you mentioned about going to Bank of America and whatnot. But uh, so at some point, you're still part of the system, right? Like, do you have plans that you want to be completely out of the system? Well, I don't think it's possible to be completely out of the system. I take my hat off to those who are trying to do that, but I, I don't think it's possible. Nevertheless, maybe it is, and I, I wouldn't advise anybody not to try it. And so there are a lot of people, as you know, trying to do that. But you asked me what, what I'm doing. Yes, what little savings I have, I've tried to put a lot of it into, into one-ounce gold coins and silver right. coins, mostly silver, because the price of gold is so high. But right. beyond that, there's a time when you, know, you can't eat gold coins or silver coins. and You need food. I don't know, you know, and... Uh, and somebody's got a limited supply of food, they're not willing to give you a portion of their limited supply for something they can't eat. So That's right. <clears throat> there comes a time when you have to say, wait a minute, we're not going to survive this system by just figuring out how to hide from it. We've got to prevent it from happening. That's what we should be focused on. How do we escape it? No, we can't escape it if, if it comes to fruition. How do we prevent it? What, that's where our focus should be. Well, that's a very good point. And can it be prevented? It must be prevented. It's an, there's no option. I mean, our lives and our freedom are completely at stake here. So my, my thinking, uh, Daniela, is that failure is not an option. I, I think in terms of what can I do? Don't, don't ask me if I can do it. My question is, what it is that we'll do and focus on. I think we have a plan, and we have a plan. It's, it's, it's a long shot, but, but it can work. 
Yeah. No, you know what? Sorry, not to interrupt you, but is a concern of yours that most people, um, you're not viewers of this show, but most people and not readers of your work, um, go about their lives having no clue what's happening in the financial system on a global monetary scale, don't even know about central bank. I've never even heard of a central bank digital currencies. So I, would you say that that's the majority of people living on the earth and the minority is really the people that are educated? So how, how could it be stopped if the majority are on TikTok and worried about, I don't know, what brand name cap they should be wearing? Well, the answer to that, I think, is easy. And the answer is that the majority never makes a difference. Never. Never mm -hmm. has. History is always written by 1% of the population. Always. Those are the thought leaders. They create the revolutions. They create the new thought, the new systems. 1% creates. Then 3% are the activists that make it happen. And they attract a total, including themselves, of 15%. These are just round numbers, my observation. Then 15% get together and decide to do something about it. And that's that 15% led by the 3%, led by the 1% that make history happen. And we have that group on each end of any contest. There's 15% on each end. And the 70% in the middle, they're walking around saying, what the heck is going on? You know, the old <laughs> saying is there, there are three kinds of people, those who make things happen, those who watch things happen, and those who have in the clueless that, that anything's even happening, you know? So that group never, never makes a difference. Well, that is, that is truly inspiring. And I'm happy you said that. And you are truly inspiring. Um, and I know from all our interviews, the, the first thing people will say to me is G Edward Griffin looks absolutely amazing. I want to know what he's doing. I know every, every interview you share some, some tips and, and you, and you, and you say you don't really, you know, you've told me you're not doing anything crazy you, you you walk you exercise you eat healthy but everyone still thinks you have a secret <laughs> to look this secret? good and sounding this great oh i don't know about any secrets no i don't have any secrets I just do what what everybody knows they should do and i'm not very good at that either by the way i slip all the time <laughs> so i'm just lucky i suppose well uh, you keep being you um I want to thank you again for, for coming on my show, and I'll leave you with the last words. Uh, you know, I think your last statement was, was quite powerful and inspiring, but anything else you'd like to add uh, to the folks at home watching? Well, I, wanted to, I want to repeat what I just said a moment ago. We worry about what's happening in the world, and the first thing is, how do we escape? I honestly don't believe it's possible to escape. I think our focus needs to be turn to what can we do to change it, to keep it from happening, to reverse the trend. I know it can be done. It's things like this that have always happened in history at the last minute, hopeless causes it. But take the American Revolution as a perfect example. There's no way in the world we had any expectation of winning that war against Great Britain or England. King George's troops were the most powerful military force in the world. There's a bunch of farmers there in, in the colonies that they couldn't even, couldn't even add a column of numbers, ignorant people, but they knew how to grow things and how to shoot a rifle. So 
you know, there was no, not a chance until Washington in the last day said, men, a lot of you guys go home on Christmas Day or New Year's Day. Your enlistments are over and you're, you're entitled to go home. But I'm going to cross the Delaware. Anybody with me tonight or tomorrow? And we're going to surprise the enemy. And that's what they did. They crossed the Delaware cold night. Many of those soldiers didn't even have shoes. They had, they had to tie cloth around their feet. They, they got in these boats, went across the frozen river. They had one cannon in the boat. And when they got there at like two, two o'clock in the morning, the Hessians were all asleep in their bunks, drunk a little bit because they were celebrating the Christmas holidays. And they found a, the British cannon in the, in the middle of the road when they got to the little village where they were. And they turned the cannon around and fired it down the street. Boom, three o'clock in the morning. These guys came out of their bunks, scared them. What, what, what's going on? And they, without even shoes, the, the Hessians ran into the, into the woods and they, they all surrendered. And that was the turning point of the war. A brilliant move on the part of Washington and a courageous move on the part of his men to do the impossible. It happens in history. I'm convinced it will happen somehow today. I would like to be that boom in some way. So and, and, I'll close with you, that. I just need some, you, more, some more boomers. <laughs> well, um, you have your upcoming uh, conference uh, coming up in, in, in August, your Red Pill Expo. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we yes, urge everyone. Uh, Red Pill Expo. Yep. Thank you for reminding me on that. Anybody that wants to, you know, think about getting involved in, in this battle, I mean, thinking about victory and not just survival, then this is the place to start. Red Pill University and Red Pill Expo yep. are the places to start and see what paths are open. So this is an event that comes, it comes up a couple of times a year, and uh, the next one is August the 12th and the 13th. Yep. So just go on redpilluniversity.org, and you'll see some of the speakers that are going to be there. And we'll have more. We usually have about usually about 18 speakers, and it's 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 jam packed with information. There's a lot of booming going on there. So <laughs> well, I wish you, I'll see you uh, there. Maybe that'll be the place to start. I I will. I wish you uh, as always luck with the conference. And I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart uh, for joining me uh, and and having this conversation with me. Like I said at the start of the part one. I know you rarely give interviews, so uh, I am truly humbled, and thank you for this. Well, thank you, Danielle. It's my pleasure. Maybe we'll do it again soon. I hope so. We're counting on it. Okay. And right. <laughs> thank you all for watching. I hope you thoroughly enjoyed my conversation uh, with G. Edward Griffin. I know I did. Be sure to stay tuned to the Daniela Camboni Show and sign up at DanielaCamboni.com to stay on top of it all. That's it for me. Thank you for watching. Opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the contributor and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Stansbury Research, its parent company, or affiliates.